We're going to take a look at Exodus, book of Exodus, chapters 6, 7 and 8, big chunk. And uh, you'll find a Bible on the floor somewhere near you if you've not brought a Bible of your own. And uh, I'm just going to read the first um, eight verses or so of that little passage. So uh, chapter 6 of Exodus and verse 26 we're going to start with. And this is what it says. This was the same Aaron and Moses whom the Lord had said... Oh, sorry. Now, when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? And then the Lord said to Moses... See, I've made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say, everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of this country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. And then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment I will bring out my division my people the Israelites, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. When I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it, Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. Now, although we're looking into chapters uh, 7 and 8, the whole of them, That's the core, that's the heart and soul, and that's where we're going to be focusing on and moving out of. Let's just pray. Let's talk to God. Lord, your spirit, all those years ago, inspired the recording of this event. And we come to you, Holy Spirit of God, and invite you to help help us to see, to open our eyes that we might see wonderful things in your word and that you might take this story and show us what it means for our lives today and help us to walk in the way that you show us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. About nine months ago I was uh, cycling to here from my house uh, near the hospital in Chester Road. Just come through the, the Cairo traffic lights and I was belting down Chester Road, downhill gently all the way. It was a wet day, the roads were slippery, it wasn't a particularly great day to be going as fast as you could. But uh, just past the hospital, I had one of the most vivid little visions I've ever had in my life. It was a vision of a black car coming out of a side street. And I hit it, went over the bonnet and landed on the road beyond. It was so vivid, I slammed the brakes on and slowed down, just in time for a black car to pull out of a side street. But because I was going slowly enough, I swerved out of the way. I still landed up on the deck and hurt myself. But the sense of vivid pre-warning of that event actually saved at least some injury. And uh, since then, 
I have not ridden my bike quite as hard on wet days. In fact, on dry days too, because I keep having near misses with people who just don't see cyclists. And uh, it's made me really, really cautious about cycling around Sunderland. Um, Now, in English, we have a phrase for this. We have a proverb. Once bitten, twice shy. It's a really useful proverb. You know, if you you put your hand into uh, a sort of box containing electrical things and you get a shock, well, you're going to not put your hand into that box again until you have a look and see what's there. It's a very useful proverb. Once bitten, twice shy. So the start of this story this morning is a great example of once bitten, twice shy. Moses and Aaron had met with God in the desert. And God had shown them, had assured them of his personal presence as they went to confront Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world. And they went to Pharaoh with God's own message in their hearts, ready to say what God wanted them to say. They went to Pharaoh assured that they would take with them the personal presence of God. I am the Lord, Yahweh, he said to them. No one else knows my personal name but you. You know how to call on me personally. I will be with you. I'll never forsake you. So, they walk into the court of Pharaoh to pass on God's message. What could possibly go wrong? Well, last week we discovered that everything did go wrong. And it was a complete disaster. And Pharaoh virtually threw them out. So when this story begins for this week, in chapter 6, verse 8, now when the Lord spoke to Moses, Moses said, verse 30, are you kidding? Pharaoh will not listen to me. Why should Pharaoh listen to me? Once beaten, twice shy. Now, actually, Moses was learning something about God. Something he'd understand completely before the end of his days. And something maybe that we don't understand very well now. It's this, that God loves to communicate with people. And he was not going to give up trying to communicate to Pharaoh, trying to communicate to the Israelites, trying to communicate to the people of Egypt. And so God insists that Moses goes to Pharaoh with this message. And look at what he says. He says, Then the Lord said to Moses, beginning of chapter 7, See, I've made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of this country. Interesting little model that. I'm going to make you like God to Pharaoh, okay? You have a message for Pharaoh, and you're going to speak to him. But when I speak to people, I always use somebody in the middle, a prophet. And I'm going to make Aaron your prophet. So you tell Aaron what I'm telling you, and then Aaron will tell Pharaoh what I'm telling you. It's a a little process that God has been using all the way down through the centuries. God loves to communicate. This is the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, chapter 1. And the first four verses. Let me read it to you. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, that's Jesus, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The son, Jesus Christ, is the radiance of God's glory 
and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. That's how God operates. Right the way through history, he's been speaking through chosen individuals, some men, some women, who speak on his behalf and address other people. We call them prophets. But in these last days, more recently, he's spoken to us through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, on a number of occasions, I say nothing that the Father has not told me to say. Jesus was a prophet. And so God speaks to people through the prophets, through the life of Jesus. That's how it always works. What the prophets said was written down in the Old Testament. What Jesus and his prophets, the apostles, said is written down in the New Testament. And so, being a Christian, part of being a Christian, a follower of Jesus, a disciple in the 20th century, is to take those words seriously. Maybe you'd like to find uh, 2 Peter, uh, chapter 1 in the New Testament. You find it's past the book of Hebrews. It's past the book of James. And then there's 1 Peter. And then there's 2 Peter. This was written by one of Jesus' closest associates, the Apostle Peter. And this is what he says about the words that have come down to us from those ancient days. 1 Peter chapter 2 Peter, rather, chapter 1, verse 20, says this. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So what we've got in our hands is, is God's word spoken to human beings and and etched in black and white for us. And it's our job to read it, to understand it, and apply it to our lives. We should take Peter really seriously. When we interact with the Bible, we're interacting with God's Word. Now, God can speak in all kinds of ways. I think that day on the bike, he spoke to me through a very vivid picture. He can do that. He can speak to you through a dream. He can speak to you through someone coming to you and saying, hey, look, I think the Lord is saying something for you. As I've been praying about you, something has occurred to me. Now, all of those may or may not be helpful. Sometimes they're useful. Sometimes it's an overact of imagination. We need to be able to test what's going on and to make the right decision about those things. But you always know when God is speaking to you when the Bible is opened. Because the Bible is the Word of God. And if you want to be sure that God will speak to you, you need to listen to God's word in the Bible. That's why it's important that we read it every day. That's why it's important that we allow our hearts and minds to be shaped by the teaching of God's word. I will make you like God to Pharaoh, God says to Moses. And the model of how I work is like this. I want to speak to Pharaoh. There's a guy in the middle called a prophet. That person will receive and then will transmit my words. And that was even true in the life of the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, the Lord Jesus Christ. So read the Bible every day. More than that, be here every week. Or in another fellowship where God's word is read and then explained and talked about. Listen to what God is saying to you and you'll find actually that something really wonderful happens.
What happens when you listen to God's word? Well, to learn that, we're going to look at what happens when you do the opposite. So, this is chapter 7, verse 1. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. Pharaoh is a brilliant example of what we shouldn't do. And it looks tough, doesn't it? It looks a bit brutal, verse 3 and 4. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. But you need to bear in mind what's happened before. Pharaoh, long before, was presented with a choice about listening to God, and he refused to. Another choice, he refused to. Another choice, he refused to. He kept saying no. He kept giving God the brush off. He kept making God wait. And eventually, when we do that, we find it's almost impossible to tune into God eventually. It's almost impossible to hear his word. Let that situation prevail. Keep going in that direction. And we find it's not almost impossible. It just is impossible. And God steps in with this powerful, wealthy, proud individual and basically shuts the door. It's not going to be possible anymore. I am going to make sure he can't listen. Now that's a pretty dreadful state to be in and trust me, you have got to be pretty stubborn to get to that point, for God to get to that point with you. It takes a long time for God to close the door on someone. But with Pharaoh, he certainly did. And he kept on doing that. Let's look at the story in chapter 7 and 8. In uh, chapter 7, verse 8, Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh and, and Moses throws his staff on the ground and the staff turns into a snake or a crocodile, possibly the word might mean. And still, if you have a look at verse um, 13, yet Pharaoh's heart became hard and he wouldn't listen to them, just as the Lord had said. Then in chapter 14 onwards, Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh again. And the Nile, Pharaoh's gone down to the Nile, probably to worship. And the Nile turns into blood. And all the stored water in Egypt turns into into blood, and you'd have thought he'd have been impressed with that. But verse 22 of chapter 7, the Egyptian magicians did the same things by their secret arts. And Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he wouldn't listen to Moses and Aaron. Okay, fast forward. Then, chapter 8, verse 1 onwards, Moses and Aaron go to confront Pharaoh again. And this time, there is a massive population surge in the number of frogs in Egypt. It's funny, isn't it? The idea of all these frogs hopping around. You wonder what on earth is God doing? We'll find out in a minute. But just now, there are frogs everywhere. You can't get away from frogs. They start dying and stinking the place out the way that frogs do, as we all know. But still, this is, uh, this is chapter 8, verse 14. They were piled in heaps and the land reeked of them. But when Pharaoh saw there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. See, the problem up to now is that Pharaoh's big boys, the Egyptians, have been able to mimic 
the miracles in some way. Probably not in a brilliant way, but enough to fool Pharaoh, who wanted to be fooled. He really wanted to. But then there's this incident. You find this incident in chapter 8 and verse 19. And it says this. Sorry, chapter 8, verse 16. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the ground. And throughout the land of Egypt, the dust will become gnats. They did this. And when Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust of the ground, gnats came up upon men and animals. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. But when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. And the gnats were on men and animals. Here's the punchline, verse 19. The magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard and he wouldn't listen, just as the Lord had said. Wow. Now it gets worse, actually, because there are seven more plagues, each one of them worse than the next. And Pharaoh's heart is the same. So, we need to know how to listen. And to do this, we do exactly the opposite of what Pharaoh did. When God begins to speak to us, we listen and we do what he says. When God continues to speak to us, we listen and we do what it says. Do you know, all you have to do to experience what this is like is to take one of the Gospels, Matthew or Mark or Luke or John, the biographies of Jesus, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and read one. Just read it through, maybe a chapter each day until you get to the end. As you read, you'll find in there lots of things you don't understand the first time you read them. There's a lot of stuff in there you might not understand first off. I'm still working on big chunks of some of the Gospels. I keep having to work at it. But some things will stand out as being significant. Some things will jump out of the page and you'll think, wow, that's, that's helpful, that's interesting, that's useful. I can use that. Mark Twain once said, it's not the bits of the Bible I understand that worry me, it's the bits of the Bible I do understand that worries me. It's the bits of the Bible you do understand that are for you right there, right then. Then set out to put what God says into practice. And it might be about being kind, it might be about being gentle, it might be about dealing with your relationships, it might be about trusting God yourself personally for the first time, it might be about talking to him yourself for the first time, it might be about all kinds of things. Just start to do it. As you do this, you'll discover that over time, something wonderful happens. You become more and more spiritually sensitive. You find that you're good at weighing up when God is speaking to you and when he's not. When someone tells you about a vision and it's baloney and you know it is. And someone tells you about a vision and you think, wow, there's something in that. But the test is God's word. The test is the Bible. And as you get to know this more and more, your instincts will be tuned to God's heart. And you become more and more spiritually aware and spiritually sensitive. You will grow in wisdom and in stature, and in favour with God and with men. That's an amazing place to be. So you get this choice. To seal yourself off from God's word and say no. In which case you get less and less sensitive. 
to open yourself to God's word and say yes. In which case, over time, you get more and more sensitive. I just want to invite you to make a choice. Which, which will it be? Which will it be? I know what the choice for me is. I want to go as far with this as I possibly can before I pop my clogs and drop off this mortal coil. I want to know what it is for God to be able to speak to me and direct me and lead me. So read this Bible every day. Listen to and, and uh, absorb and obey his words. And if you're thinking, Dave, where do I start? Well, I've given you a hint with the gospel. But if you want another hint, come and see me at the end. I'll be by the desk in the foyer and I will give you something that will help you to get started today. So what's he after, this God? What's he doing in Egypt right now? Well, you know what he's doing. He's speaking through Moses to Aaron to Pharaoh and he's speaking to Pharaoh so that his people, the Israelites, can get out of Egypt. Yeah, that's what God's doing. But I sometimes think that God's a bit like a snooker player. Not me when I play snooker because I just can't hit the ball right for love and the money. But I'm thinking of an absolutely top-notch snooker player, the sort of guy who gets on television. And those guys are playing three, four, five moves ahead. Every shot has several purposes behind it. It's an incredibly tactical game. And when God does something in history, particularly something this big, he's not just after one thing. He's not just after two things. He's after several things as well. We're going to look at that right now. We're going to look at this story again. We're going to ask the question, what exactly is God at? And to see that, we need to look at the plagues and to see the connection between them and the gods of Egypt. So the first one, that first plague you get in chapter 8 and verse 14. And Pharaoh goes out to the river Nile in the morning, verse 15. Then say to him, verse 16, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, Let my people go so that they may worship me in the desert. But until now you've not listened. And this is what the Lord says, By this you know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile, and it will be changed into blood. The fish will die, the river will stink, and you won't be able to drink it. What's happening? What's happening is this. One of the chief Egyptian gods was uh, a character called Osiris. Osiris had a blood system. And in Egyptian legend, the Nile was his bloodstream. See what's happening? What happens if I hit your god? Whack! His water turns to blood. His ability to sustain your life goes in an instant. What's happening is that God is getting in the ring with Osiris, the Egyptian god, and knocking him flat. And the message is basically very, very simple. Your god, Osiris, amounts to nothing. Look at the next thing that happened. The plague of frogs, chapter 8 and verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord says. Let my people go so they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will plague your whole country with frogs. What happens? So, Moses stretches out his hand and his staff. And all of a sudden there's this, well, biologists call it a bloom, a bloom of frogs. 
a surge in the population of any animal. It's called a bloom. And there are frogs everywhere. What is he saying? Another one of the chief gods of the Egyptians was the goddess Hecht. Hecht was the Egyptian goddess of childbirth. And that, I'm afraid, is the closest we're getting to Mother's Day in this message, okay? And the symbol of Hecht in Egyptian picture language was a frog. So what was God saying? He was saying, your miserable little goddess, that figment of your imagination amounts to nothing compared with me. Now, so far, things are in the balance. Because so far, nothing has threatened the Egyptian worldview. If you read chapter 7 and chapter 8, in, it, in, in its fullness afterwards, read the whole thing, you'll see, firstly, that the magicians were able to imitate the water turning to blood, at least enough for Pharaoh to be convinced. And the Egyptians were able to imitate this business with the frogs, at least enough for Pharaoh to be convinced. Well, let's see what happens next in verse 16 of chapter 8. The Lord says to Moses, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the ground throughout the land of Egypt. The dust will become gnats. The earth god was another one of the Egyptian gods. Someone they sacrificed to, someone they made offerings to in order to get him on their side so that their crops would grow, so that everything would be alright, so that they would enjoy a good standard of living. Look at what happens when my servant whacks your God. Nats, or if you've got the old version of the Bible, the authorised version, it says lice. It could have been either in the original word. Look what happens when your God is hit. And what's God doing? He's saying, this God of yours amounts to nothing compared with me. This figment of your imagination amounts to nothing compared with my power and my majesty and my might. Now, up to now, things have been in the balance, but suddenly the balance shifts. Verse 19, the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. They couldn't repeat the sign. But Pharaoh's heart was hard. There are seven more plagues to go. It gets worse every time. The magicians can't reproduce the miracle. You see, God isn't just confronting Pharaoh. He's confronting the whole Egyptian worldview. Everything they believe in is demonstrated to be completely worthless. It's pretty heavy, isn't it? So why? Why is God grinding these people down? Let's go back and see what's happening. Back to chapter 7 and verse 4. Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt with mighty acts of judgment. I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. That's the key. You know, in the desert, and the bush was on fire, but it wasn't consumed. And I spoke to you at the bush. And I told you my name, Yahweh. 
And at that point, you knew me. You knew who I am because I told you my personal name. At that point, you and I began a personal relationship. The Bible calls Moses the friend of God. Because you knew me. You knew that I am the Lord and you still know that I am the Lord. I'm going to act in Egyptian history. I'm going to act in world history. Why? So that the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. That theme continues through the plagues. Have a look at um, chapter 8, verse 10. As Moses takes away the frogs, tomorrow, Pharaoh said, Moses replied, it will be as you say, so that you may know there is no one like the Lord our God. So that Pharaoh might know, so that the Egyptians might know. And the climax of this process, you find, is in chapter 12 of Exodus, when eventually God's people make a run for it. Pharaoh lets them go and they stream out of Egypt towards the future that God has for them. And in chapter 12, verse 37, it says this, The Israelites journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkoth. There were about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. Verse 38, Many other people went up with them, as well as large droves of livestock. So as God reveals his power, his awesome intention to judge this nation, as he hacks away at their worldview, showing them that their core ideas, their most precious ideas are worthless, he has a purpose. That everyone in Egypt will know who he is. That these gods don't work, but he is the Lord who does wonders and whose words are wise. And then they had a choice. They either stayed where they were, like Pharaoh, or they left with God's people, like these multitudes who left with the Israelites. It wasn't just Israelites that left Egypt. There were Egyptians too. Many of them. Because God had been speaking to them and revealing himself to them. Now, if this all looks heavy to you, The lesson is this. God does not want to judge. He does not delight in judging. We force him into it. We make him do it. God delights to rescue. God delights to save. God presents us with himself so that we can leave and go with the people of God. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers by the prophets in many times and in various ways but in these last days he's spoken to us by his son the Lord Jesus Christ the son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being who invites you and invites me to travel with him to travel with God's people to walk with him to learn from him eventually to heaven but to know the joy of knowing him and walking with him here on earth today. That's what God wants. He wants us to hear him. He wants us to obey him. He wants us to follow him and go with God's people. 
So now you have a choice. What are you going to do? Are you just going to say, put? Or are you going to say, no, I'm going to go. I'm going to trust him with this. And I'm going to follow him. And I'm going to live this out in my own life and see where that journey goes. That's the invitation I want to make to you this morning. Almost done. But there's one thing we've got to look at before we finish. And that's the last little bit of that, that part that I read earlier on. Back to chapter 7 of Exodus, verse 6 and 7. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. He's not a bit past it. 80 years old. He's just beginning his life's work. Moses has been 80 years in the preparation for this moment. Aaron has had an extra three years. I don't know why he probably failed a test or something, you know. Didn't pass an exam. He took him maybe three years to get to the moment when, all of a sudden, everything that had happened in his life made sense because it was heading to this moment. 80 years old. 83. What's, what do you learn from that? Let me suggest it's this. Age is only a number. That's all. Age is not a sentence. Age is not a facet of your character. Age is not a limitation on the speed that you can go, or the distance you can travel, or the work that you can do. Our church minibus has got 62 written on the back of it, because it won't go faster than 62 miles an hour. If you're 62, that is not the limit. Because when you leave with God's people, when you walk in his way, you become useful to him and you become open to the most wonderful things whatever age you happen to be this is amazing but it's true when I um, get round to it sometime in the next five years I've got a plan to write a sequence of books I'm going to tell you what the first two are and what their titles will be the first one is called 21 and the second one the working title at the moment is 65. 21 is going to be a book of the stories of 21 people who did something significant for God before their 21st birthday. You say, well, Dave, there can't be many of those. There are loads. Pete Gregg, for example, who founded the 24-7 prayer movement, a global prayer movement, kicked it off in 1999. When he, before he left his teens. He didn't, start to plan, he didn't intend to plan the movement. He just started a prayer meeting. Because he was passionate for God. He wanted to connect with God and he wanted to know God personally, directly, to experience God for himself. And him and his mates did. And they started something that's gone round the world and back again, despite the fact that he hadn't achieved a certain age. You don't have to be a certain age before in obedience, just following where God leads you, you do something significant for God. It might be something huge like Pete Gregg. It might be something quite small. But it's what you were meant to do. That leaves me with a choice, doesn't it? 
Am I going to allow the fact that I'm under 21 be my permanent excuse, at least until I reach my 21st birthday, to do something? Or am I going to follow God's people now? Am I going to open myself up to God now? Am I going to take this God seriously now and see where that leads? You have no idea where that might lead. You've probably guessed what the second book is about. The second one in the series is called 65. This will be slightly thicker because it will be 65 stories of 65 different people who did something significant for God after the age of 65, what used to be retiring age. I have to keep writing books that get bigger in number because... Tyrone uh, Age is getting a little bit sort of uh, older than that now. People like John Silk. You never heard of John Silk. John Silk's a friend of ours in Leicester, and he'd retired from working in a bookshop all his life. He'd come to Leicester to be close to his family, and at the age of 70, God spoke to him through a friend who contacted him and said, You know, CLC, Chain of Bookshops in Europe, based in France. Yeah, it's a mess, it's falling apart. John prayed about this and offered to help. He became the managing director of CLC Europe at the age of 71. Uh, Completely reorganized all the bookshops, reorganized their distribution network, got them into profit, and retired again at 75. Amazing guy. Don't allow the fact that you are drawing your pension, or whatever you're doing, to give you the illusion that you've retired. Because you haven't. And if you're the kind of person who's willing to listen to God, let God speak to you and go where he sends you, you'll find that wonderful things can happen. You might be called to do something big, like John was. You might be called to do lots and lots of little small things here in Sunderland, here in this church, further afield. But you get the drift, don't you? Age is only a number. Moses was 80. His oppo was 83. But age has no relevance in the work of God, whether you're young, whether you're old. And I bet that little talk about starfish mentoring that we had earlier on, there were people in here thinking, yes, it's interesting that, but I'm too young. Do you take under 21s? You have to be over 18. 18 or over, yeah. Uh, do you take over 65s? Yeah? You're happy to take an old codger like me. I'm not 65 yet, but... So what is God saying to us about what he wants us to do? Let's pray. What is God saying to you? Are you going to open up your heart to him? And take the journey that leads to growing sensitivity to him. Or are we going to seal ourselves off? Tell him what you want to do. And this morning, this God, Yahweh, the Lord, he's revealed himself to you. He's shown you that he hates to judge. But he will do it because he's right. He's just. But he loves to rescue. So will you accept his rescue 
and walk with him, with God's people, into this new life. And I'm here this morning and I'm not 21 yet. And I'm over 65 and I was hoping Dave would leave me alone. But the Holy Spirit isn't leaving you alone. He's digging you in the ribs. What are you going to do? Not yet 21. What are you going to do? Over 65. Father, thank you for your mercy that even reached the land of Egypt in that terrible time and many fled to, with, to be with your people and to be with you. Thank you for your mercy shown to us in the cross as Jesus took your wrath on himself so that we can be forgiven and set free. Lord, we want to sing now of your mercy and worship you. Thank you, Lord. Amen.